Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. Today I want to talk about evangelism. Everybody like that? Evangelism, that's a, that's a word in church. I want to talk about the power of us living lives of evangelism. How God has called us to all evangelize. And that evangelism is for our church and how when we use it properly, we could win a city and we could win a world for Jesus. Are you with me today? Everybody say evangelism. 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 We're going to be reading out of Acts 1, 6 through 8. Also Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. No. NIV, guys. It's okay. Whatever you got, it'll work. It's all similar. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, Jesus switched the subject. They're, they're asking for, for Jesus to fulfill their idea of what he came to the earth to fulfill, which is political authority, political ruling. And in a moment, he switched it. He says, but you might not know what's coming. You might not know the time, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's shifting their perspective and saying, the mission of all that we did is not just for what you thought the fulfillment of it was. He's shifting it to say, this is the mission right here. And he says this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to read verse 9 too. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Let's jump over to Matthew, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It simply says this. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others and that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I read one more scripture? I know there's a lot up front. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be great. I'll tell you a funny story. The tension will be released in this room. One more scripture. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That sounds familiar. We didn't even plan this, Bobby. That's crazy. Man, God wants to say something today. I hope you're expecting. I hope you're leaning in. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to change your mission. He wants to change your assignment. He wants to give you a word today that you can carry and you can run with for the rest of your life. There are things you came in thinking were pre-planned, but yet God had a different idea of what he wanted to do in this moment. He had a different idea of what he wanted to do in worship to prepare your heart, to carry the word, to carry the mission, to spread the gospel. God's doing something. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Aren't you grateful the race is marked out? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? The title of my message today is simply this. The church we build is to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Let's pray one last time before I try to describe all that's happening here. Lord, right now we're thankful for these moments. We're thankful for the beautiful worship that we got to be a part of and offer unto you. We pray it was pleasing and it was a sacrifice unto you. We just want to worship you with everything. But we're grateful for the opportunity to be here. We're grateful for what you're going to speak. Lord, give me the words to speak. Anoint my mouth to speak it. Anoint ears and hearts to receive your word. Let it come alive. Let us understand evangelism in a new way to where we understand that we are all carriers of this great call. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, have you ever been in the middle of a miscommunication of responsibility? I'm sure your workplaces, at home, whatever, we all experience this where there's a miscommunication of responsibility. Hey, I thought you were going to do the dishes. I thought you were going to do the dishes. Weren't you going to feed the dog? I thought you fed the dog, right? I mean, this is like the reality of all of our lives. And yesterday, Brianna and I, we were out at our Lakeland location, and there's a women's conference. Who is that women's conference, Echo Conference? Incredible, incredible time. I was just hanging in the back just receiving and just being there. It was amazing. But uh, our kids came out with us, and we had, like, a special room that we got to keep them in for the, for the time we were there. And Emerson did not want to go home for nap time, right? He Obviously, he's almost seven. He never wants to go home for nap time. And so uh, he asked me, Dad, could I stay here this afternoon while you take the other kids home? And I was like, yeah, it should be fine. So what did I do? I went to one of my friends, and I said, hey, is there any way that you could watch my son in the, in the hour and a half long break with your, with your son? And he was like, yeah, for sure, I got it. I got it. It's going to be great. I'm like, that's amazing. Yep, Emerson, you can stay, right? Then what do I do? I get in my car with my minivan, the party bus. We drive back to Tampa, party in the TPA. We roll up to our house and put the kids down for a nap. And I'm just hanging there, taking a moment to relax, looking over my notes for today and, you know, getting ready, prepping the house, getting it, getting it ready for Brianna to come home after conference. And all of a sudden, I get a call from Brianna, a little bit urgent. It's like 5 o'clock. And she goes, hey, are you going to get Emerson? And I was like, uh, no, no, no. Uh, my friend said he was going to get Emerson. And she goes, well, Emerson's the only one there. And I was like, what? So I call this guy, and I go, hey, what happened? And he goes, I thought you said you were going to take the kids. And it was like, what? Like, how did this even happen? I clearly asked you to take my kids. So Brianna had to come back, grab Emerson. It was this big fiasco. And I remember sitting down with him, and I just came to the guy and just gave him a big hug. And I said, you know you were supposed to watch my kids. I know I was supposed to watch your kids. There was a miscommunication of responsibility that happened. 
You know, I think we experience this in so many areas of life. We're, even when we went to sign the lease for this, we talked to the facilities guy who said he was supposed to have the lease, and then he sent us to, to the receptionist who said, no, you should go to the manager. We went to the manager who said, you should go to the president. So we went to the president. Hey, do you have the lease? He goes, no, the facilities guy has the lease. And I remember going in circles for a couple weeks until finally somebody sent me like a handwritten lease for this place. And aren't you grateful we got this amazing, amazing building? But there was a miscommunication of responsibilities. Are you catching this? Are you understanding? See, I think it's easy. It's simply easy for us in this time and age, in business and home and marriage, whatever it is, to have miscommunications of responsibility, especially in church. I think it's easy for us to come into an environment like this and go, oh, the people up on the stage, they got that. The people in the lobby holding signs, the people watching our kids, they got that. We, we see everything being done and happening in church, and we go, oh, it's already happening. But there's a miscommunication of responsibility and understanding that each one of us are meant to carry this great thing together. And when it comes to evangelism, I think it's even more the same. We go, someone else is already doing that. I must not need to. It's a miscommunication of responsibility. See, sometimes we can, we can say that evangelism has to do with personality. Can't we do this? Yeah. Oh, the outgoing ones are the people that need to go evangelize. The extroverts, right? They're the people who have obviously been given the right personality to evangelize. The outgoing people. The people who are called or assigned, the pastors, the teachers, all these people. We can say they're the people who should be doing evangelism. But I think that there's a miscommunication in that. And I want to take some time to clarify evangelism. Is that okay? Yes. A couple of you say it's okay. See, the definition of evangelism is simply this. It's defined as spreading the spreading of the gospel by the public preaching or personal witness. Public preaching or personal witness. See, the gospel simply meaning the good news of Jesus. So first, evangelism is the public preaching of the gospel. And this is so important to understand, but it doesn't stop here. See, evangelism, I think, has been improperly explained to us by our modern Christianity as we need to stand on the street corners. We need to go door to door and knock. This is what we think of evangelism, right? We need to hand out little pamphlets. You need to go into your workplaces and stand up in, in the break room and go, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Like, that's awkward, right? Anybody else? I'm not that guy. And I'm a pastor, and I'm not the guy to stand at, at the water cooler with my arm up and go, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you have a life insurance policy? You know. That's not me. Maybe on your Zoom meeting, you're reaching, hey, can I interrupt for a second? I need to tell all of you about Jesus. That, that's what we see evangelism as. This public preaching of the gospel. In college, I went through this course called Personal Evangelism. And it was an amazing time going through and learning what it's like to help shape conversations. And when people ask you questions, what kind of reaction can you have to lead them down a, you know, a, a road to understand Jesus? To lead them down a road of your life so that you have equity with them within moments to preach the gospel to them. So it was great in practice. I remember we're sitting in class, and they're like, come on, get up front and lead people to Jesus. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
there was nails and there was, uh, there was thorns in head and there was, you know, this is the gospel and you're just attempting to do whatever you can. And I remember going to the end of the class, I'm ready for my test. I'm ready to come and fill this out at the end. And my, you know, our teacher said, hey, we actually are not going to do a test. And tomorrow you have to go out and get four people saved. And that's how you're going to pass this class. Whoo, that wasn't me. I sat, in a, I sat in a train all day long having the most awkward conversations that didn't lead anywhere, and I didn't get a single person saved that day. I remember coming back, and needless to say, uh, I failed that class pretty horribly, right? I mean, could you imagine going, and you're like, you pass or fail depending on if you get four people saved in a day? That's wild to think, but I think that that's our view so often. It's that great miscommunication of responsibility that we're going to leave it up to just the people who are going to stand on the street corners or hand out the pamphlets, and we're like, I'm not that person, so I'm going to let others evangelize, and I'm just going to do my church thing, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to stay inside my house, and I'm going to keep it right here. But that's the great miscommunication. Here it is. It says the definition is public preaching or personal witness. Personal witness. See, when we read Matthew 5.14, it says that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? If we go back to Isaiah 42.6, it describes it as this. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Everybody say, light for the Gentiles. See, it says this, that he's called us into righteousness. I want you to see this. Righteousness is the starting place to becoming light. When you walk in righteousness, you become light. Are you with me today? Personal witness. We've been called to righteousness. We've been called to have lives above reproach. We've been called to have lives that when people see us, they see the light of Jesus. Personal evangelism. I think that I have to say this, maybe this disclaimer. We can hear all these church phrases and go, okay, yeah, I need to, I need to be in the light. But I think there's a difference between being in the light and being the light. Wouldn't you agree? See, I would say it like this, or living in the light. See, living in the light is admitting to your wrongdoings and not covering it up. It's active. But being in the light is avoiding wrongdoings and living lives of righteousness. It's proactive. See, yes, in many ways, if you're struggling with things that will lead you away from righteousness, you need to live in the light. You need to tell on yourself. You need to come out about that and make sure that other people know. You need to be actively pursuing becoming light. But becoming light and being the light, when you operate in righteousness, it's proactive. You're putting up the defense before you ever have to defend. See, Jesus is our great example in this. Never did he say that I live in the light. It seems like a phrase you would have heard. But I can tell you, after all my studies this week, after looking through the Bible, never once did he say that I live in the light. But what he did say is, I am the light of the world. See, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but I have the light of life. So hear me today, that evangelism starts with who you are, not what you can do. That's where it really starts. 
We look at evangelism as the public preaching of the gospel, but really evangelism starts with who you are in Jesus and the light that can shine forth from you being the light of Christ. And that leads you to the public declaration of the gospel. The Lord says in Isaiah 42, he will take your hand and keep you, meaning you're not alone. He's guiding you and showing you the way. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? You're not alone. We're meant to be the light of Christ, to be the light. This last week, um, I got to go with a great couple from our church to coffee. And I love coffee meetings. Um, I'm kind of a little bit loud and obnoxious in, in places. And, uh, you know, a lot of the baristas are always like, who is this guy? And we were sitting there having this great conversation about relationship and about life and all these great things. And I got up after the meeting and I walked out of the door. I left them there and I was walking out of the front of the coffee shop and this guy chases me down. And he taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, uh, hey man, uh, what was your name? And I go, oh, it's Alex. He's like, uh, hey, I'm, I'm Matt. And I was like, oh, hey, what's up? And he goes, are you like a, a counselor or what do, you, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> slide that one in there. Hello. I'm a pastor. And he sits there and he goes, because I was sitting there overhearing bits and pieces of the conversation. And he said, I need what you have. This was on Thursday. I need what you have. And I said, well, do you know Jesus? He says, I know of him. I'm not following him. And I go, well, he's what you need. Jesus is what you need in your life. It was a beautiful moment. I got his number. I'm like, hey, uh, can we meet for coffee right now? He's like, I got some meetings. And I'm like, great. Monday, 10 a.m. So be praying, church. Monday, 10 a.m. Uh, I'm meeting with this guy. He might even be in here. I don't know if he is. If he is, he can wave. But Monday, 10 a.m., we are meeting for coffee, and I'm walking him through this great journey of getting his life on track and following Jesus. I didn't once stand up on a table and say, repent, for the time is near. I didn't once. I didn't tell anybody in that room that they're sinners. What I did is I was the light of Christ. I lived in the righteousness of Christ. I was operating in my calling and in my assignment, and there was a beacon of light drawing the people that are lost. Drawing. That's what we're meant to do by your personal witness. See, when we live as the light of Jesus Christ, evangelism becomes automatic. When we live as the light of Jesus Christ, evangelism becomes automatic. Who wants some automatic evangelism? Where every day when you're out and about, people are just walking up to you and going, I see something different about you. You got something, you got a joy that I've never seen before. You got a life flowing from you. I can see it in the way you talk. I can see it in the way that you walk. Everything about you is different. It should be automatic in you. So when we read our scripture, Matthew, 5, 14 through 16, it should actually hold some more power for us now. We should actually understand what this scripture is saying. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. We are meant to be on display to illuminate the house, to illuminate the city 
to illuminate the nation, to illuminate the world. We are meant to be on display. Something I want to say, though, is I think sometimes we can think of the light of Christ as a blinding light. And I want to say this. We are never meant to blind people. Because what does that do? It pushes you away. It disorients people. Deer in a headlights moment, right? We should be a lighthouse guiding people through the darkest parts of their life, through the storms, through the, through the struggles, through the hurts, and be a lighthouse right up above and say, come. All who are weary, all who are broken, all who are hurting, come. This is what you need. We have the answer right here. I don't go around to everybody in any, any, every restaurant and I go, hey, just want to let you all know I'm married. I would never do that. That seems so weird, right? But what I do is I wear this ring. And I, I'm very intentional about how I act. I'm very intentional. I'm different because I'm married. There are things I can and can't do because I'm married. And that is the case as a believer. It should be obvious that there's something different about you, but you should never blind people with this light. So verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. This is our great call today. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My hope and prayer for the church we build is that we would be the light of Jesus Christ and fling wide the doors so that all may know the love of Jesus and repeat that great process. Amen? Isaiah 49.6 says, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, as the Israelites hearing this, it would have been contradicting to their culture. They are God's holy chosen people. They are in the club in a sense. And God is saying that this club is now accessible to the rest of the world. I'm sure the Israelites would have been upset in hearing that. But I want us to picture it like this, maybe for us today. I want us to picture this, that the four walls of our church, of our gathering place of our church, are so beautiful. We have this amazing gathering place, wouldn't you agree? This amazing place that we call home together. It's a great place where we come, where we gather, where we encourage, we drink great coffee, you drop your kids off to learn about Jesus. I mean, in every way, this is beautiful. Even back to the 100-year-old seats you're sitting on that are so comfortable. You're welcome for that. I have nothing to do with that. They're amazing. I mean, to every part, I mean, you even think about just the beauty of where we're at and what this means as we gather together. Even the naked statues and all, guys, we're blessed in here. Welcome to Eden. Thank you, God. Something I believe is that Grace City Tampa will never be contained within the four walls of this building. Our gathering place is not meant to be our limiter. See, our calling, our mission, our vision, our culture should never be stuck within the four walls that we meet in. And the gospel was never meant to be contained between four walls. It's meant to reach from the gathering of believers to the furthest places on earth. It's never meant to be contained within four walls. It was never meant for that. But it's meant to reach from the gathering place of believers to the furthest reaches of earth, the furthest places on earth. But so often, we can just section out our life, can't we? This is that, this is that, I go here for this, I go there for that. What happens in church stays in church, right? We can section out our lives. But the goal for our gatherings is simply this, to create more disciples, to reach more people for Jesus. 
It's why we pray the sinner's prayer at the end of every service. One, to create a moment where people who are far from God or not living a life for, for God to enter into that relationship with him. So we create space for that. But what it also does is for all of you who have been a believer for longer than a week, it reminds you that we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God and that we need to get some urgency in us to continue to pray this prayer with every single person that we encounter to remind us that the mission of why we're on this planet is to reach more people for Jesus, to reach more people for Jesus, to spread the name of Jesus across the globe. And we want to help seekers become believers. Seekers of Jesus to become believers of Jesus. We want to help believers of Jesus to become disciples, meaning that they're operating in their God-given purpose, and we want the disciples to repeat the process. That's so simple, wouldn't you say? Am I losing you, church? It's so simple. And to the ends of the earth, we want to help seekers become believers, and believers become disciples, and disciples repeat the process. In every nation, we want to help seekers become believers and believers to become disciples and disciples to repeat the process. And I pray that we capture that today. Evangelism is for everyone. Growing up, my best friend's dad was in the military, and he he would often take us to the base. Anytime I would be hanging with him for a while, uh, we would go to this base. And as like a 12-year-old kid walking around with tanks and you know, uh, aircraft and all this amazing, amazing stuff. He would take us into the armory, show us all the guns. Uh, He would take us out, and we'd see all the people training in the fields, right? I mean, it was like a movie. And I remember going, and we would see their bunkhouse where they would sleep. We'd go see uh, the mess hall where they would eat. And we got to see all the ins and outs. We got to see the rooms where they would all sit and be trained and get the knowledge of what they needed to do. I remember that... It was such a cool thing as a kid, and it still is stuck in my memory like that. And I think that we need to actually look at church through that lens. We need to actually be thinking of church as a home base. See, the church we build is a home base for evangelists, not the mission field. Can I say that? The church we build is actually a home base for evangelists, not the mission field. Although we leave moments in our services for people to come to Jesus because we never want to miss a moment. If we're preaching the gospel, you better point people to Jesus, right? But this is not the mission field. This is the home base for the disciples. This is the home base for the evangelists so that we can go and we can bring and we can go on missions and we can love the world around us. What does the Bible say? Don't neglect the gathering, your weekly gathering of believers. That's what the Bible says about church. It says don't neglect the weekly gathering place of believers. It doesn't say the weekly gathering place of seekers, which if you're seeking today, you're in the right place at the right time because you're hearing the right message, and it's time to come home. The Father is welcoming. We, this is a gathering place for believers that sends people to the mission field, which is the world around us. And a home base meaning a place from which activities and operations are carried out. It's our headquarters. See, we are a home base. This is hopefully where you get trained, you get supplied, you find your team, you find encouragement, you find a resting place. And from that place, we reach out. Because we really believe that we have the answer. We really believe that we have the solution. We really believe we have the antidote. We really believe that we have the meaning of life. We really believe that we have purpose. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we believe that we have Jesus 
Christ. And he should spill forth from this building, from this gathering, like a mighty river flowing into every single street, into every single alley, into every apartment, into every cul-de-sac, into every business place, into every homeless person's space, into every widow's space. This great gospel message should reach to the furthest ends of our city, should reach to the furthest ends of our region, the furthest ends of the world, to the end of the earth. In Romans 1, 16 through 17, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. See, we have to understand that this actually takes inside of us an understanding that we, we don't need to be ashamed of this anymore. If we have the full understanding of the power of the gospel, that we really do have the answer and the solution, we really do have purpose, we have Jesus Christ to share, then we would never be ashamed of this gospel. We have to be the light of Jesus. I had a conversation with a guy a couple weeks back. He told me he was intimidated to share the gospel. He said, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the tools. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know what to say. And I told him, I'm like, that's actually the best place to be. And he was like, really? Why? And I said, let me, let me bring you back to Scripture so you can understand. In Matthew 72, or sorry, in Matthew uh, Jesus sends out his 72 disciples. It's, uh, it's actually in Luke 10, 1 through 4. We're going to get there, guys. It's fine. There's a lot of numbers, a lot of scriptures. Here we go. Where's the band? No. But Jesus sends out the 72, and it says this. After the Lord appointed his 72 others, he sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send you out as workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. I brought this up to him, and I said, listen, Jesus sent these disciples out, and they didn't have all the answers. They didn't know every single question that would come their way or how to even describe the kingdom of God in the way that Jesus described it. Right? They didn't even fully understand the fact that the kingdom wasn't going to be a physical kingdom, but it was actually going to be a spiritual impartation of the kingdom on earth, heaven coming now. So they wouldn't have even understood the full mission or the full gospel, yet they went. And he said, I'm not even going to give you all the tools you need. You're not even going to get sandals, bags, or purses, but go. I think we need to understand that kind of urgency. You aren't going to have everything you need all the time. You aren't going to know all the answers, but be released and just believe and go on the journey. And hear me say this. It's about being the light in the dark places. You illuminate and then give direction. Really simple. You illuminate and then give direction. And that direction is the home base. Hey, you're seeking Jesus? Let me show you the way. Come sit with me in church. Sit with me right here. I want to walk you in the journey. Yeah, why we're worshiping, why we're praying, why we pray for the needs of people. Let me explain the power of what we're doing right now and what that means in this place. we got to give direction. I'm going to invite the band up as I conclude. I want to make this really practical for you. Is that okay? I've talked a lot about a lot of ideas, and I want to make it really practical. How do we show the light of Jesus? How do we be the light of Jesus, and how do we evangelize? Three quick points. Live a life that shows the light. Live a life that shows the light. My kids love to sleep with flashlights every night. I have to go search the house because they lose it every single night. 
And most times when I leave a flashlight in their bedroom, I come in in the morning and I got to grab new batteries and I got to get this thing all ready for them. It's a, every night it's a different process. I'm trying to figure out how to get these kids this light. But it is this process. And you got to take a step after step and you got to figure out the solution. What's the problem? What's going on in my life? And you got to step up in that. And I want you to hear this. How do we know whether or not we're living in the light? What's the fruit coming off of your tree? How do you know if you're living a, a life of the light of Jesus Christ? Do you have rotten fruit coming off of your tree or do you have spiritual fruit coming off your tree? Do you have the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, gentleness, self-control. Is that what's coming off of your tree? Or is it anger, deceit, hurt, unforgiveness, impatience? You're going to understand very quickly when you examine yourself even in a second right now. If you have the fruit coming from your life that should be the light of Jesus. If you're living in righteousness. And if not, follow the process. Surrender it to God. Ask him for forgiveness and walk in his grace every single day. That's the beauty of the cross. Number two, be sent from somewhere. Have a home base. Means you don't have to do it alone. Following God should never feel like an island. Jesus sent the 72. He said, go. Tell people the harvest is plentiful. And then he said, come back. And they did. And they came back and they celebrated all the great things, the demons that they called out in the name of Jesus, the healings that had happened. He said, go and come back. Have a home base. Have a place that you call your home. Have a place where you can dig your roots deep and you can gather around other believers because you're not always just meant to be out there on an island alone. Yes, there are moments where you're going to be alone. You might not have everything you need, but you can come back and have a home base. Point number three, point people to Jesus. When people stop you, take the time and point them to Jesus. Don't rush through your life. A lot of people like to say it, have slow feet and point people to Jesus. It's for his glory and his glory alone. Amen? Amen. To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is a beautiful scripture because it's one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he sends them to go, and he ascends into heaven. Listen, I, I want everybody to look up here because I want your attention for this moment because I think this is important. <clears throat> Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. witnesses. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a witness. witness. Turn to the other person and say, you're a witness too. In Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So first of all, the first thing you need to see is there's a power that comes on you and it's the Holy Spirit. Even though you might not have all the answers, all the tools, everything you need, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Remember that. Lean into that. This word witness is an interesting word. I, kept, I read this scripture so many times this week, and I was like, God, what, what do you want to say through this? Like, so basic. <laughs> hey, guys, we got to be evangelists. Like, we, I mean, we're like month five of church, and I'm getting up, giving a very basic sermon about evangelism. And I'm like, God, what do you want to say to your people? 
And I studied this scripture over and over and over again, and I went down the line and looked up every word of the scripture in the Greek. See, the second thing I see from this is it says, you will be my witness. The word witness actually is martis. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are a martis. You got to roll your R a little bit. Turn to the other person and say, you are a martis. You guys just did that so freely. You didn't even know what the word meant. You're like, oh, I'm a witness, yeah. And somebody needs to hear this today. The word martis means a witness for Jesus who dies because of that witness. It's oddly familiar of Matthew 16, 24, when he stands before his disciples. And he says, if you wish to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So, Martis, maybe back in the day, would have meant for the people that they actually are carrying the weight of understanding that the gospel they're presenting to other people means they're going to be beheaded. They're going to actually be killed. And you know what Jesus says to us? That we are meant to die to ourselves. We are meant to pick up our cross. We are meant to live with that kind of urgency, laying our lives down on the altar for the gospel of Jesus. And so when we go back and we read in Hebrews 12, I read it at the beginning, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's the second time in the Bible this word, martis, is mentioned. We are surrounded by people ready to lay it all out for Jesus, ready to die for the sake of the gospel. Therefore, since we are surrounded by people that are ready to give it all, it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You've been trying to break that addiction. And let me tell you, you need to surround yourself with such a great cloud of witnesses. You need to surround yourself. Somebody should be standing on their feet and believing in your own life. Let me tell you, you've been coming into places with burdens. You've been coming in with weight that you were never meant to carry. And you should be around people who are ready to lay it all down and die for the sake of the gospel and therefore you can throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangles. And it says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because he went to the cross and he scorned its shame. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He perfected it for you through the death and the resurrection. He's not saying you legit need to die. He's saying you need to kill off your flesh. You need to kill off your sin. And you will be a witness in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When you die to yourself, when you surround yourself with such a great cloud of witnesses. It says in verse 3, Consider him. Oh, just close your eyes in this room. Church, just close your eyes. This is a moment for you. Consider him. Consider 
Jesus. You know what he did? He endured such opposition from sinners. Consider him as you face these trials, as you persevere, as you die to yourself. And you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. We consider you. We consider you. We consider you, Jesus, and the work you did on the cross. We consider your years of ministry when you fought to set right the gospel. We consider your sacrifice. We consider it, Lord. I want to give two calls. First, if you heard me talking about this and you said, I am that seeker. I'm that person who needs to pursue Jesus. I'm that person who's far from God and I want to get my life straight and I want to enter into a relationship. If that's you, I want to count to three and at the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand to show us and to declare that you want to give your life to Jesus. One, know that God loves you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you so that you could know life in abundance. Two, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. If you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to put your life back on track with Jesus. Three, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Come on, this is a declaration unto God. Come on, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Come on, can we celebrate this in this room? Hallelujah. And now, for everyone, would you raise your hands as an act of surrender? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you pick up your cross. Deny yourself. So here, right now, God, we lay down our lives at the altar. We sit at the foot of the cross considering all that you've done, the opposition you faced so that we could know life and life abundance. We remember, we claim, and we thank you for it. And in this moment, Lord, I pray that you will help us to die to ourselves. I pray that you will help us to be the light of the world, that you will help us to be the righteousness of Christ. Lord, that we would have good fruit, fruit that reaches people for you, fruit that is abundant, fruit that people see it on our lives and say, there is something different about you. And you say, I die to myself and I give it all for the sake of the gospel. Right here, right now, Lord. Let us surrender like never before. And as we declare this song together, let it hold new meaning and new power. In Jesus' mighty name, I see bright crimson robes. Come on. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.